We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Kipnis trying to keep the Cubs alive. Two down, last of the ninth inning. 2-0 Miami. And the 2-2. Swing and a miss, and the ball game is over, and the Cubs' season comes to an end. The Miami Marlins start to celebrate as they will advance to the National League Division Series, and the Cubs' season for 2020 is now in the history books. You are listening to Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score was a thrilling experience to have baseball back for both sides of town. They both made the playoffs, but here we are the first Saturday in October, and they are both done. The next guest joins us on the Alpamani Ford hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. Our good friend and fine color commentator on all Cubs baseball here at 670thescore.com. Our good friend Ron Coomer joining us today. Uh, kind of a somber day, Coombs, uh, after a, a pretty good season for the team that uh, pulled out a division championship in this strange year, but uh, not the ending that anybody wanted. No, that's for sure, Bruce, uh, Maddie, And, yeah, coffee's not tasting quite as good this morning as it has the last <laughs> week, I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. We, You know, we all felt it last night when the game was over um, in the booth, and you know, you can see the players feel it. They all understand, and, you know, the organization feels it, and the city feels it for both sides of town, right? I mean, you know, there was such high hopes for both teams and thinking that one or both could go deep in the playoffs, um, and it just didn't work out. It, you know, there there's some some issues on the north side with, with the Cubs ball club that need to be addressed. And I think on the south side, just from watching them play come playoff time and down the stretch, you know, they're getting a little understanding of what it's like to have um, the spotlight on them. So you've got, mm-hmm. you know, both teams have to learn uh, some lessons from this season, and there'll be some changes made, I know, on the north side. Um, but the White Sox are in a little different position. Um, but, yeah, sad day yesterday, as you know. Um, whenever the season ends, unless you're popping champagne, it's never – it's never a happy moment, that's, that's for sure. I, I got to say, though, Coom, it was such a pleasure to have you and Ron and Zach uh, back and to have these games. And I didn't get to see it, didn't even get to be at the park this year or be a, the occasional part of the broadcast as I have been. But um, what, it, it, there's got to be some satisfaction. Before we get to the change, there's got to be some satisfaction of the fact that the league pulled it off. The Cubs pulled it off. The Cubs radio network pulled it off. Like, you guys actually were able to be there and do it. Did you enjoy yourself amidst all the craziness? 
I we did, Maddie, and and you know I there's no place I'd rather be hanging out um, than Ridley Field. So for me, going there every day it was very bizarre at times. I will say that some of the first games that we did with the team on the road, and Pat and I, and Zach and Paul Zerang <laughs> are sitting in the booth, and it's pitch black out, and it's eight o'clock at night, and there's not a soul in Ridley Field but us, and I'd scream out. Hello out there. You know, you can hear me on the rooftops across the street just to to make everybody laugh once in a while. But it was bizarre. But I I really think at the time that we came back to play and we, you know, I remember coming back to Chicago in mid-June for, you know, thinking that we might play anytime soon or at least get things started. Um, When we did get started in July, I was, um, I think our country needed it. And, yeah, you know, it, it got off to a bumpy start, but I think everybody realized the importance of what we were doing. And, and you know, a lot of people sacrificed a lot of things to get this season off the ground and, and continue it. So um, you got to tip your hat to a lot of young guys that, you know, the old guys like us, you know, eh, you know, uh, Stay in a bubble. Okay. You got room service. Okay. You know, it's the young kids. If, if you were 22 years old, would you want to stay in a hotel room uh, for month after month after month? That's that's asking an awful lot of these young kids, and, and a lot of them did really well. So, you know, you can be proud of, of the fact that we did play baseball. The Cubs had self-created energy off the bench, beginning with Anthony Rizzo and that group as much as anybody. Uh, you know, we were – in the ballpark, we got to hear uh, that bench on every pitch, especially beginnings of games. Uh, the whole group just uh, cheering on uh, each hitter, kind of like uh, you would you would hear in a high school or a college game, right. uh, e- even more so. But uh, unfortunately, the Cubs never were able to produce offensively at home all year long. Uh, they hit they hit 210 as a team at Wrigley Field. Uh, Javier Baez went into great detail about how much his energy level missed the fans, how much the team missed the fans, how they weren't able to use video as part of uh, getting uh, between innings in order to adjust like they have in the past. But can can you put a finger on uh, what went wrong offensively for the Chicago Cubs and uh, why they were so dreadful trying to put good bats good at bats together as a team well I, I well, first of all when you have as many hitting coaches as they've had over the last four or five years that's difficult you never have continuity with the message right so that's that's not easy you know and some of the you know the things that are going to happen now in these exit meetings you know I remember Chile being around and and I've known Chile Davis a long time and you talk about a great baseball guy and an excellent hitting coach, and he got bounced after one year, and the guys didn't like him, and and he had great ideas. I, I'm just telling you, I know Chili, and I know how he hit. He did it as a player, and he's doing it as a coach. Um, and John Mainly got let go, and there were, you know, some guys self-destruct, some guys get bounced, some guys, you know, are trying to come in and create something new. And when all of that happens, Bruce, I, I just think it's difficult, I, especially even though this Cubs group is a is a talented group, you know, I I haven't seen them through their prime of their career getting better. I see them, you know, changing their approaches as the seasons have gone on. And now you're at a point where 
you know, David Ross made the comments um, on one of our Zoom calls that, you know, the offense is, it is what it is. We walk and hit homers. That's how we score. And he was correct. There's no doubt about that. It was not an inaccurate statement. But that's a tough way to win when you're playing playoff baseball. It really is. And, you know, so there's they got to go back to the drawing board and, and um, start creating some different approaches at the plate and understanding that swinging uphill and, and trying to hit home runs for everybody in the lineup just isn't getting it done. Especially when it's when so many do it in a similar way, it becomes attackable, for lack of a better word, for for the opposition. I hear you loud and clear, Coom. I guess the question is, can guys adjust, and do, do they want to hear voices like Chili's or otherwise, or does does there come a time when you have to move on and try to mix things up as best you can, even if the value isn't quite there at a particular moment, that maybe it's time to... To, to mix it up because guys aren't developing that approach that you're talking about? Well, I, I think there's going to be a combination that, that there's no one way to answer that question, Matt. Um, so you're going to see some change with the Cubs roster. There is no doubt about that. Um, this slide is continued and there's going to be change. So this, this, norm, this team that you've seen is not going to be the exact same team. You're going to see a lot of new faces. Um, come February and March in spring training. Um, but yes, guys can change. Kyle Schwarber can definitely change. I watched Anthony Rizzo at the end of the year work on his stroke um, to be able to get on top of the baseball just a little bit more. I mean, you're not talking about talking about a guy that's a 30 and 100 and always around 280. He doesn't have to make a lot of changes. But, you know, just slight changes and then in the thought process, you know, probably more so than anything. I, th- I thought the Cubs were very tentative um, the second half of this season in, in hitters counts. Uh, 2-0, 3-1. We, mm-hmm. You grind through the game to get to that point to have the game in your favor. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of that. And I didn't think they did. They took a lot of fastballs um, and good hitters counts. And when you're when you're doing that against good pitchers, especially come playoff time, I saw a stat yesterday after the game uh, that was alarming. The Cubs since since the 2016 World Series championship team are hitting well under 200 in the playoffs, well under. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is alarming because you build your team. If you're a good ball club, you're building it for playoff baseball, right? That's what you're doing. And if that's the, if you're hitting under 200 for year after year. Um, come playoff time, the approach has to change. Uh, Coombs, uh, when you when you look at uh, the pitching staff of the Cubs, uh, there's going to be great changes there. John Lester said that uh, in his latest Zoom a couple days ago that uh, he, he hopes to come back. They have, a uh, obviously, a $25 million contract, which they will turn down, and uh, they have to pay him $10 million dollars uh, just to uh, say goodbye to him. But uh, bringing him back at this point, um, it, it, do you think that makes sense? I mean, we know the impact that John Lester had on the Chicago Cubs franchise. We know he'll go down as most likely the greatest free agent signing in Cub history and so impactful not only for what he brought on the field but what he brought to that locker room. Uh, he was just a champion all the way around. But at this point in time, can you afford to take a, a step forward 
with a, with an aging John Lester as a part of the mix, or is it essential for him to come back knowing that uh, you don't have the replacements quite yet in the minor leagues to uh, come up and pitch in the rotation? You might have Alzelay. Uh, we still don't know what he is or whether he can do the right. maximum amount of innings. Uh, you, you have certainly Marquez that we saw for one inning against the White Sox. That looks like he has a, a, a bright future, a guy that throws the ball extremely well, but may not may need another year in the minor right. leagues. Um, how do you patch forward with the pitching staff, Coons? Well, I think you're looking at Johnny. First of all, I needed to get his agent. Um, that's pretty good for <laughs> for not playing. He's getting 10 big ones. That's pretty good. Yep. That's your you money, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> that's that Levine money. That's right. Yeah, I don't dress that way, but uh, I, I've got it. Um, you know... To me, I, I really believe John Lester has figured out um, what it takes for the 36-year-old John Lester to pitch in our league now. Um, I really do. I, I don't think that they're all going to be perfect. He's going to have some hiccups during the season like every 36-year-old does. But I, I really believe if, if you're going to pay him that much money to leave, who would you get to be a fourth or fifth starter that would be better than John? I just don't know and have the impact in a clubhouse that that he could have. So um, I you may be able to put something together in a package that pays him something that he would feel comfortable taking and right. keeping him around. That that could be a possibility. But if he's a five, Coom, who's your three and four? I mean, uh, you know, Mills was a nice pitcher for him. He filled some important innings. Obviously, he had the great no-hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... You know who, who's your who's your three and four? Do you do you attempt to sign uh, Quintana to a a one-year deal, knowing he's a free agent? Do you think he would accept that? Do you, you feel that would be patchwork to to get forward and let some of the young pitchers in the organization continue to develop? Well, let's let's. For me, I I think you got to give Mills another chance too. He's got to be he's got to be put into the rotation again and let him pitch, and see if he continues to get better. Right? I mean. You know, he gave you significant innings, as you said. He threw a no-hitter. Um, to me, you know, he's he reminds you of a lot of the, the the fours and fives on the other teams. He's young and trying to figure it out. But he showed that, you know, he, he can pitch in the league. And I, I got no problem with him being in that rotation. Um, and he's affordable. So that that's the give and take maybe with a Lester contract where you got a guy that's going to be under a million bucks maybe. And you got John that you're paying a little bit more um, to get his presence and, and to understand what he brings. Um, the three spot, I, I think you go out there and you just see what, what's available, you know, in trades. The thing about this, about re, rehabbing or, or reconfiguring the, the pitching staff, you're going to have a lot of people coming to Chicago when you start trading people away. So there's going to be big names going the other direction, Bruce. So... Mm-hmm. Um, that's the other option and thing and, and the question that you don't know when you're sending a name out that's a big name that's had impact in the league what are you getting back right so I think that's one way to look at how you're going to uh, maybe change up the rotation um, signing free agents to me is always a risky business um, but boy if you can bring in kids and, and a couple of them pan out I think that's that's the way to go but um, John to me is the rare rare bird, um, and I, boy, 
he's made such an impact on this group. Um, he, he just really has. I, when you look at what he's done as a Chicago Cub, it, it, when you talk about pitchers, is there anybody that's been more impactful in a Cub uniform? I, 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 not, in last, not in the last hundred years. No, no I, I don't. I, I don't think among there among free agents among free agents <laughs> in the history of this town, Ron. You got Marion Hosa came and, and helped teach the Blackhawks how to win. Right. And they won three cups, but like, th- it's him and John Lester. That's that's your right. conversation. I mean, Kerry really- Wood. Kerry Wood was you know a great Cub and a great pitcher and and all of those things and and just and embraced the city and all of those things. But you know, with all that being said, all of us that put on a Cubs uniform, none of us won the World Series. John not only won the World Series, but he pitched on two days rest to get them to the win in the middle of a ball game and three shutout innings. I mean, after dominating all the playoffs and all that, I mean, you know, when you when you think about John's resume, um, you just you give it a wow, right? You really do. And uh, that will be the legacy of uh, of Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer here is identifying John Lester and Joe Madden. Those Absolutely. two things happened within a month of each other, and they were the most impactful things that Epstein and Hoyer will be remembered for uh, long after they're not uh, running the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, and, 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 and the ability to draft some posi- and identify position player core pieces like Rizzo, who they loved and went and got from San Diego, um, and then Bryant, who, who they drafted and was so brilliant. I. I need to ask you about Bryant Coombe just because mm-hmm. I didn't see the power or the slug all year long, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I, it's like it's certain fly balls. I'd be like, man, he usually destroys that thing. Where is it? And then he goes down with the last injury and comes back for that White Sox series. There's a first-pitch fastball homer, a first-pitch curveball homer, and I'm thinking, oh, there he is. But I don't – what what was it? Do we know what it was and, and where it went, and, and will it come back for Chris Bryant? Well, I can – I can spe- the, the, the hardest part, Matt, is, is, is understanding this season for all of us, right? I mean, none of us had access to the players. Um, everybody deals with these situations differently with everything that's gone on. KB had a lot going on in his life as the season was starting. Um, I'm sure there were questions whether he should play or not with a newborn baby in the house. Um, all those things are, are tough. Um, what I saw, without knowing his mental state, right, and, and all of those things, mm-hmm. just because I was never around him, and KB is a great young guy, um, to me, there was a breakdown, a, a serious breakdown in the mechanics of his swing. Um, that was one. I, I got a chance before the playoffs to watch um, Game 7. and It's some of the World Series. Let's just say some of the highlight stuff of the World Series, but... In particular, the ball he hit out of the ballpark in the second inning in the World Series late. I think it was either Game 6 or 7. Was it Game 7, Bruce? I think it was Game 7. Anyway, it was a curveball. And he, he put the front, front foot landed in his stride, and he paused right there, saw the pitch, bang, and he hooked that ball to left field in Cleveland and hit it a mile. You, that swing, to me, was so glaring. I went, whoa, there's KB. We never saw that this season because he had a breakdown. He had a lot of movement. He, his upper body, we call it a top half lead or keep your head out of the strike zone. There's a lot of terms for, you know, old-fashioned terms that we would use when we were playing. But you saw his, his head moving forward a lot, and then when the pitch was in, him coming back away from the ball, right? 
when your head is moving like that, you can't recognize breaking pitches the way you should, the way he did in 16 when he was an MVP. You just can't. And we did not see him hit those pitches even remotely close. We saw a lot of off the bat, out in front, top spin lobs, even the balls he hit down the line. And I just think he needs to be able to get back to the recognition of the pitch and keeping his, his upper body still as the ball's coming. And he just had a really hard time doing that this season. Without that, you can't be a big league hitter. Coombs, uh, we certainly appreciate you joining us and all that you do for us uh, during the year on the score. And uh, we're going to miss hearing you and Pat. But uh, hopefully we'll stay in touch and uh, have you on the show a lot over the uh, offseason because uh, we know it's going to be interesting to see how the Cubs are rebuilt and how baseball manages going forward after this very, very odd season. Thanks again from Matt. Yeah, Nardone. Bruce, it was, it was great as always. Um, we have some great baseball conversations at the ballpark. That was great. And, Maddie, uh, it's great to hear you uh, back on every day or almost every day in the afternoons, buddy. So great great to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me on all season. And, and I know we will talk soon. You're the best, Coom. Right, Thanks, Coombs. buddy. Ron, Ron Coomer. Coomer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's sad to say goodbye for the season, isn't it, Matt? It's just, yeah, uh, you know, the ending of the year and uh, – Sox and Cub fans do not want to say goodbye to this season, but uh, all we have left is uh, postseason and our game, of course. Uh, our, our show, of course, every Saturday from 9 to 11 will be here for you talking ball. Go Padres. Uh, go Padres is, <laughs> is where I am. We'll come back and uh, let's shift to the Sox and talk about the future of the manager, shall we, Bruce? Uh, uh, under we fire. Shall and, mm-hmm. um, and Ted yeah. Simmons, uh, the newest Hall of Famer, joining us. In the, at 10.45 to talk about the life and times of the great Bob Gibson. Outstanding. It's Inside the Clubhouse. He's Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. I mean, a lot, man. Um, you know, you just allow, you know, each and every one of those guys to, you know, go out and compete, you know, the way they want to. And allow us to be ourselves. You know, ever since I got here, you know, he's been nothing but great. And, you know, just allow me to be myself and allow me to play the game the, the way I want to. And uh, we made it this far. So, um, you know, we just got to keep working, man. Keep working. You know, I think he's the right guy. That is Tim Anderson talking about his manager, Ricky Renteria. He's allowed them to be themselves. We just got to keep working. I think he's the right guy is how he closes it, Bruce Levine. And you don't, Matt? Uh, no, I do. I, I, I give oh, yeah. Ricky another year. I give Ricky another year. Uh, I give Ricky a chance with a full year. I think it's okay to let your manager grow um, a little bit when he is clearly 
an excellent atmosphere provider for those mm-hmm. guys. He's clearly a, an excellent helper for Tim Anderson, for Lucas Giolito, for many, many guys have, have credited Ricky for, for being a part of things. I think he's got strategic issues, and there's stuff that we can pick apart, certainly just from this playoff run. But, um, but I'm in the camp that I give Ricky a full season, a full fair shake, and, um, and a little room to grow himself as a manager. Uh, the points you make are, are very valid. The, in this day and age, and in particular in sports, it's essential for you as a manager of a team or a coach of a team to sell yourself to the group, okay? That's number one, okay? It never used to be, uh, you know, it used to be that the group had to sell themselves to the manager in order to get to play mm-hmm. or the coach in the NBA to get on the court unless they were uh, a superstar. In this day and age, it's all about we're millennials. We need to be talked to in a certain way. We need to be told why certain things are. We need to be treated in a certain way. And if you're not up to that, you are not going to be successful as a coach or a manager in sports in the 2020s. There's no question about it. And from that perspective, Ricky Renteria gets an A plus as far as getting his people ready to play, getting them excited about playing, having him get the work done and wanting to play for him. He gets an A plus as a strategy goes and he learns how to uh, negotiate and handle a pitching staff in meaningful games uh, and in certain situations that are essential with a developing young group of pitchers in a bullpen, uh, I think you're right. Uh, Ricky Renteria gets a little bit more time. That doesn't mean that there weren't some mistakes that cost them games uh, the last 10 games of the season and uh, possibly into the playoffs here. But nonetheless, um, it's, it's not about firing Ricky Renteria for that at this point. It's all about him growing as well mm-hmm. by learning how to handle a bullpen. And let's face it, it's, you know, with DHs in both leagues, Matt, and the starting pitchers who they are, it's all about how you handle and manipulate a bullpen, isn't it? I mean, the strategy is 90% bullpen at this point in baseball. Yeah, it's a, and, and that's a very difficult thing. And we know that the White Sox as an organization have made massive leaps forward in recent years, both with technology. And how about the stuff Evan Marshall told us a few weeks back on mm-hmm. Inside the Clubhouse, Bruce, about how they look at things situationally and look at spots in the lineup as they're choosing which guys to implement at which times. And I had some issues with what Ricky did in Game 3, but all of them were reasoned in terms of, all right, I want this guy for this batch of the lineup here and this guy for this batch of the lineup here. So, you know, they've, they've moved forward, they've progressed, and they also needed one more starter. You know, I, I, they needed Renato yep. Lopez to step up and claim the three or Dylan Cease to step up and claim the three or Dane Dunning to not hit the wall the way that he did. Um, I, I, my biggest problem specifically, um, and it seems we're, we're in agreement on terms of Ricky's overall uh, place, um, but my, my biggest problem with Game 3 specifically is if, is if your hook is going to be that fast for Dane Dunning, then he shouldn't start. Like, I, I would have... I would have started Cease, or I would have started a reliever I'm going to try and let get through two innings, like Matt Foster or something like that. Like, you've got to give whoever you start a chance to, to actually 
do a job and give you a couple of innings, uh, two outs and two base runners, and you and you you pull Dunning. I think the bullpen was active after one hitter. I, it's, if the leash is that short, then I don't think you should start, in my opinion. Yeah, again, it's it's a process for Ricky, even though he's a veteran baseball guy with a tremendous amount of knowledge and certainly one of the finest people I've met in the game. On top of that, but that aside, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Uh, the fact is, is uh, that um, you know they were overactive in their pursuit to stop any run scoring whatsoever. When, when you when you change, Matt, here, here's the essential thing for me. Here's the essential thing for me. When you change a pitcher in the first inning with two outs to uh, negate the opposition from scoring. That means that you don't feel you're going to score more than one run. Yeah. Okay. That's the and that that's and that's daunting, isn't it? I mean, that's the message. I mean, tell me if you're wrong if you think I'm wrong, Matt. But that's the message you're sending out that we're not going to score, and therefore we have to hold them from scoring a run in the first inning here. No, Uh, I. I, Yep. Or putting together any type of inning whatsoever, and uh, to me that. You know, I, I understand they had a plan and it was well thought out, uh, but I, I can't I can't live with that. And you initially brought it up that you have to get more length out of Dunning, otherwise he doesn't start the game. Start Evan Marshall if you want two innings. Yeah, exa- exactly. I completely agree with you. And you know who else agrees with you is Frank Thomas. Uh, let's play two quick pieces of tape here on this so people get a chance to hear it. First is Frank Thomas from the postgame show on NBC Sports Chicago about Ricky Renteria's bullpen moves. First two innings, we gave it away. You know, I, I, I'm upset about it because we understand all hands on deck, but you cannot warm up your bullpen after the first batter. I mean, that, that instills no confidence throughout your lineup, throughout your pitching staff. This was a, a team that have scored so many runs. You can't say we're not going to score today. That's what it sounds like. We're not going to score today. Um, it was just ugly. It was a disaster. And uh, one in three nothing. This team misuses the bullpen early caused us not to hold a lead later on in the ballgame. So um, just, an, just an ugly game. It was a disastrous show. Uh, this team deserved better because of the way they played this year. There's no other nice way to put this. That's, um, that's Frank Thomas. And then after the game, Ricky Renteria talking to you guys on the Zoom call um, and, and responding about the questioning of his bullpen moves in general. I think we handled the bullpen as good as we could possibly handle it. I think that... Uh, Today's game was a unique uh, situation, uh, but I, I think I'll say to you, as I tell everybody, that's up to you guys to grade what you did and didn't do well, and I, I, don't, I don't do that with myself. Uh, I do it in private if I think I've uh, you know, had an issue or something with something that I've made. I leave the, the, uh, the scrutiny, thankfully, to all of you. Trust me. Uh, we beat ourselves enough. Uh, we are harder on ourselves, and you guys have heard me say this before. We beat ourselves up enough, and are harder on ourselves than anybody could possibly be on us uh, if we feel that uh, we missed that. So, what do you make of that, Bruce Levine, Ricky? Uh, defending well, I mean, himself? It's, it, it's it's honest. I mean, he's been consistent all year. He will not he will not bite on uh, people uh, asking him to uh, rate his performance. Uh, performance in his mind and he's been very consistent about this as well things that are in their past are in the past uh, 
uh, we'll, we'll analyze it and we'll beat ourselves up when things don't work out. It's up to you and you guys uh, in the media and the fans to decide what you think on your side. Um, I'm not going to uh, analyze myself in public and say whether I'm right or wrong or in between. And, I, you know, I, th- I think it's I think it's a fair way to to deal with criticism than saying, hey, I made a huge mistake. This was planned out. This was uh, the route that they they took. This is the structure that the manager and the coaches and the pitching staff uh, had going in, and uh, they stuck to it. Unfortunately, uh, they didn't get uh, what they wanted out of Crochet. He got hurt. They were hoping mm-hmm. for two to three innings from him, and that uh, that kind of tipped the ship uh, in a bad direction. 670, the score is where you are. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. Going to be a fascinating offseason on both sides of town, that's for sure. Uh, the baseball world took a terrible hit uh, late last night with news of the passing of Bob Gibson, Bruce. Indeed, and we'll have Ted Simmons, uh, the Hall of Famer, just in, uh, going to have his induction next year. It was put off this year. The Hall of Famer who caught Bob Gibson in the early 70s, uh, join us uh, after the break. This is 670 and 670thescore.com. Pretty good day. 1968 World Series. The late Bob Gibson right there. My favorite stat about 1968 that I've read, Bruce Levine, is that Gibson pitched in 37 games that year. He completed 31 of them. The other six, he was removed for a pinch hitter, meaning he was removed for a relief pitcher never. Not once in 1968. Not bad. How do you have a 1.12 ERA, Matt, and... uh lose eight games that <laughs> that to me is the amazing stat as uh we welcome in uh a uh, a good friend of ours why don't you set me up matt our next guest joins us on the alpamani ford hotline alpamani ford is in melrose park ted simmons one of the newest hall of fame members and will be inducted in 2021 nice enough to take some time out of a busy schedule with being one of the top scouts for the Atlanta Braves to join us on Inside the Clubhouse. Teddy, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Appreciate your time. And let's just jump right into what was it like as a 20-year-old catcher with the St. Louis Cardinals catching Bob Gibson? Well, it was was like a very, very bright light was turned on in a very dark room. I can assure you I'd never seen anything like um, him before, and I certainly had never seen any pitcher like him before. And as I say, it was, it was such a, a bright, shining star that, uh, as it, I, you know, I felt, I felt like a baby brother um, trying to assimilate with all of that. But it was remarkable. It was memorable. Um, it was really the first real look I, I got at um, uh, a profound Hall of Fame pitcher. Um, I didn't really know what I was looking at at the time, but I knew I was looking at something very, very special. You get, the, you get to catch Steve Carlton and Bob Gibson 
and Jerry Royce, Reggie Cleveland, all in that 71 Cardinals team. But it's, it's quite a collection, Ted. Um, what, what did, looking back, what do you, what made Gibson so special beyond the stuff? We hear about the toughness. We hear about the intimidation. Did you get a, a feeling for that? Uh, and looking back, do you appreciate it even more than you did at the time, perhaps? Well, what I saw was a guy who, as you mentioned, was very competitive, very intense. Um, that was easy just by his, his, his posture, his demeanor on a pitcher's mound. But what I saw for the first time was how a guy who uh, would aggressively utilize his fastball and pitch inside to anybody. I mean, back in those days, there were some, you know, fairly good hitters floating around, particularly in Pittsburgh and other places. And, I mean, he used his fastball um, to tell these um, these hitters that, okay, um, decide what you want to do. If you get too aggressive on that outside half, you, I got a big surprise coming for you. And he would pitch inside, not necessarily to, to knock you down or necessarily to hit you, but to tell you, this is my, my territory, and I can come in here at will, and you're not going to like it. And that's the first guy I really saw who would do that consistently and open my eyes uh, to say, hey, this is a very effective pitcher who has the command and the, the, the velocity to do this. And you learned um, by watching him do it that's, that this was applicable to the other pitchers. And so as a catcher, you bring that to Carlton. You would bring that to Royce. You would bring that to the other pitchers who had skill. And, um, uh, you know, as I say, I was so young at that time. I was seeing things for the very first time, and I was seeing it as, as, as well as it could be done. So it was pretty hard to miss. Talking to Ted Simmons, uh, the newest uh, Hall of Fame member going in in 2021 as a, a group uh, induction back next year. And Ted, um, when, when you look at Bob Gibson, the man, what did you learn about the individual uh, in his preparation, in your preparation with him, and uh, just as a, as a baseball player and teammate? Well, this guy was had the command of everything, uh, not just his skill set and his, his stuff as a pitcher. He had the command of every room he was ever in. Mm-hmm. When Bob Gibson was in the room, everyone knew it. I mean, you could not go in that clubhouse and, you know, and not start trying to find out where he was. He was that commanding a person. He was he was big. He was physical. He was very handsome. He was very intelligent. He was diverse. And once, you know, you got through that defense mechanism that he kind of, mm-hmm. that first door he kept locked all the time. Once he unlocked that door and opened it and you got in, you found a very, very, very interesting and um, uh, bright guy. He was nowhere like the guy you saw on the mound when, as I say, that first door got opened. He was, he was warm 
Uh, he was, um, as I say, uh, engaging. Uh, but you had to get through that front door, and he kept that locked. Um, but, as I say, command of everything. I mean, as I say, I don't care what room he was in. If you walked in that room, it'd be a matter of seconds that you'd focus on him and try your best to identify him if you'd never seen him before. He had that kind of command. Hey, Ted, those, uh, those Atlanta Braves that you work for, pretty darn good and advancing. Who do you, when you watch that team, who are you proud of? Who do you feel a connection to as, as you watch that team play as well as uh, they did in the first round? Well, you know, there's a lot of young guys over there, and I saw a lot of them come along. The Freed kid, the left-handed pitcher, has done remarkably well for his age. I saw him in high school, um, and he had a curveball that in high school, as a 17-year-old, he would, you know, he could throw two balls and no strike and throw a curveball and be right down the middle. Three and one, he'd throw it again, swing and miss, or, or called strike two. And three and two, he'd throw it again in high school pitch batter didn't have a chance so um you could tell that he had a major league curveball when he was 17 years old at that time he was like 91 92 tops but you could see because he was just a little skinny thing back then had height but hadn't developed physically yet and you knew that when he did he would gain velocity um you know you you, you have to look to the first baseman um, Freeman, who's done such a remarkable job all year, um, he's done well. But uh, the guy who I feel good for was Ozuna because he was here in St. Louis, and um, I had the Cardinals um, recommended him, and he's come and done a really, really good job. So he's kind of helped make me smarter. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, take your pick. Their kids have done really well. The shortstop. Finally, looks like he's a player and uh, a, a, a real factor. So, um, Acuna, uh, Albies, this is a really, really talented young team. And, and pitchers, one after another, they're young enough and, and uh, getting better uh, that they, they could uh, be a, a really solid team for quite some time. Teddy, we appreciate you hopping on uh, last moment notice uh, and knowing how busy you are preparing for uh, the upcoming uh, playoffs. Uh, continued the best to you and your family. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Thanks again for joining Matt and I on Inside the Clubhouse today. Matt, Bruce, always a pleasure. Take care, man. Stay Thank safe. You so much. Thank you, Ted. Uh, the great Teddy Simmons joining us in Inside the Clubhouse. We have people to thank, and we have – Things to say as Rosie and Grody getting ready to warm up in the bullpen and come in. Matt, uh, first of all, great regular season for us. We'll be here for you every Saturday uh, in the offseason talking baseball. So baseball season never ends here at The Score. We're thanking Ron Coomer for joining us, Ted Simmons, the Hall of Famer as well, at M. Stadzinski for a tremendous job producing this show. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB. Bruce Levine also right on the, the website at 670thescore.com. Cubs and Sox every day. Matt, have a great week. You too, Bruce. Uh, Cam Newton has tested positive for coronavirus, will not travel with the Patriots. That among the big sports news that Rosie and Grody will cover for you next. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, all you callers. 
and listeners um, for a great regular season. As Bruce said, it'll be a fascinating offseason, and we'll be here every week of it Saturday morning. Have a great day, everybody. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.